Welcome to the Entrepreneur Hot Seat, where I talk to entrepreneurs and business people from all walks of life and all levels of success, from millionaires to the people who are just starting out and everyone in between. My objective is not only to learn about their businesses and goals, but about their challenges and fears as well, all with the hopes of helping them and you find a pathway to success. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Entrepreneur Hot Seat. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I am so excited for you to join me today for an interview with my new friend, Jean-Luc Boissonneau. And Jean-Luc is a writer, speaker, and longtime entrepreneur who has started and sold multiple businesses, including a chain of luxury personal training studios. Currently, Jean-Luc is the CEO of Miyagi Incubator and Accelerator in Ottawa, Canada, where he funds, coaches, and connects people to succeed in business. Most importantly, Jean-Luc is a husband and a father of one daughter whose name is Aspen. Jean-Luc, welcome to the Entrepreneur Hot Seat. Thank you. Uh, so really great to have you here. We connected through our mutual friend, Tuan Nguyen, who has been a guest on this podcast as well and uh, who I know we both uh, admire and, and love following because he seems to find a way to make everyone around him better. And of course, I'm always happy to connect with one of his friends and uh, really looking forward to getting to know you and having my audience hear some of your story because it, it sounds pretty impressive just from what I've investigated so far. So I was hoping we could start with a little bit of your background, if you wouldn't mind sharing some of your origin story and tell us how you got to where you are today. Sure. I grew up, you know, not having much financially, but I had a lot of love in my family. I had two sisters, a brother. We played a lot. I really wasn't very good at school and I didn't like school, really. I didn't feel like it fit me. And I was always good at art and gym. So, you know, I didn't know what career options there were. I was confused at that point. I went into actually into policing just because I was fit. And I thought, you know, if I'm fit, maybe I'll just make a good police officer. But when I went to school, as I was going to school for policing, I realized quickly that it wasn't what I wanted to do. That moment really hit me when my teacher one day was, I was sitting in class waiting for my teacher to come in. He was late. I look out the window and he's driving this car that's all beat up rusted up and he's like coming inside and he's late throws his duffel bag on the desk and he's like sorry guys I was uh, you know I didn't get much sleep last night I had to work the night shift and uh, so I'm sitting there kind of looking at him and going huh like he's tired he has to teach me right now because I don't know if the money's good enough with what he's doing and here I am trying to become him <laughs> you know and it was really, you know, at the time I was a personal trainer on the side. And this is, I was 17 years old at that point. So there wasn't much talk of like personal training like it is today. Like personal training, you didn't see it as a career. It was more of just you did on the side kind of thing. But then that moment of seeing that teacher and then looking at his environment versus mine kind of being like, wow. I have a great environment. Like I'm helping people achieve their goals. I'm engaging with just amazing business people. And then one day, like my clientele quickly became business people because that's what I was attracting and that's, they kept referring me. So I ended up kind of a roster full of business people. 
And one day, one business guy came in the gym that I trained by the name of Claude. And he said, you know, what's your dream? And I had just never thought of that at that point. I wasn't sure, you know, and he said, just tell me what your dream is. And I said, well, I'd love to open a gym one day. And so he said, okay, well, give me a deadline. And I didn't want to give him a deadline because I was scared to give him a deadline. <laughs> I did. And I said, let me go back and talk to my girlfriend and then I'll give it to you next time I train you. So did that, went back home. I was living in my girlfriend's parents' house in the basement with my girlfriend, now wife. And I said, what do you think about us opening a gym together? And she was like, yeah, that, that'd be awesome. So I went back, started training uh, Claude. And right away, as soon as he started his workout with me, he's like, so what's the deadline? And I was like, a year from now. Man, this guy was a relentless coach to you already. I like it. I am so grateful for this guy, right? Because without him, I don't know my path would have been probably very different. But he forced me really to, you know, with just the power of somebody setting a deadline for you, like forcing you to have a deadline. So I said a year and he's like, you can do it in six months. And I was like, wow, okay. And it's true, really, right? If you can do it in a year, you can really do it in six months. And I was open three months later. I had a $250,000 debt that I jumped into and I didn't have any knowledge. I didn't have any experience running a business. I was completely ignorant to marketing. You know, I started off with like a few thousand dollars as a marketing budget, you know, because I had thrown all my money into the actual business itself, buying the equipment. But this is all a blessing, right? Because when you don't have much money, you have to force yourself to become very good at what you do. And it taught me how to get the biggest return on investment I could while using the littlest amount of money. And I think for startups, for entrepreneurs, that's still a key mindset I look for. You know, somebody that's going to, to figure out ways of gaining customers at a cheapest price possible. So anyways, I went on, I grew that business, that one location. A year later, I had a huge competitor come into my territory like right down the street from me. And they were, I guess in the US, it would be the equivalent of 24 hour fitness. Right. So yeah, it's big. So they opened and, and then I, I was uh, terrified really. And I was like, okay, they have a bigger gym than me. They have more staff than me. They have a sales force. They have the marketing dollars They're on the radio. How do I fight this giant? You know? So that was a critical moment. And again, I never take back anything that has happened as an obstacle because that is what builds us. That's what grows us. And without that obstacle, I wouldn't be where I am today because they opened and it forced me to look inside myself and say, well, how do I beat this guy? How do I beat this giant? And it was the David Goliath kind of situation where, you know, you can't beat Goliath at its own game. Don't try to be bigger. And so I had to look at their strength. This is a key thing that I tell people that are looking at positioning their business again. You got to look at your competitor's strength because their strength has a weakness. The big man is slow. 
You know, I do jujitsu, Brazilian jujitsu, and there's a weakness in every strength. And in this case, they were big, they had everything, but they couldn't beat me at being more personal and more small, right? So we took a whole different approach and we stopped selling memberships. So our, it wasn't a gym anymore. And from one day to the next, we said, we are going to help everyone that comes in here achieve their results. And if we can't succeed at that, well, we're going to go out of business. So it changed everything. It, it changed my whole purpose, my whole mission. It changed my whole branding. It changed who I was hiring. And then a few years later, I, at first I took a dip financially because all of a sudden I had to say no to people and people were coming in wanting to buy memberships. And I had to say, no, sorry, we don't do that. And so the year was a rough one because I had to, basically, my strategy was to get so personal, like so caring with people that if we're good enough, they're going to go out and promote for us. That we had to be remarkable, meaning make a remark about us, be so good people are going and fighting for us. So I had to gather all my clients and at this point, I probably had six personal trainers working for me. So I don't know, about maybe 60, 70 clients. Maybe, no, maybe more than that. A hundred, you know, close to a hundred clients. How can we impress these people so much that they go and they, they feel the need to tell their friends and family and coworkers? So we focused on that and then it started to work, you know, <laughs> over time, all of a sudden, Wow we're starting to pull in the right audience, the right people we want. And we started to get a reputation in the city. So I opened a second location and then a third location. And every location got better, right? Every location got more fine-tuned to what the essence of what I was selling was. So we ended up having the, like the most expensive real estate spots in the city. So the fourth location I opened is the prime real estate there is in our city here and uh, right beside Starbucks. And with the third and fourth location came more problems because now you're dealing with, oh, like, you know, my energy not being able to be physically present in all places and having to manage that. And I got to the point where the four locations, I had branded them to look uh, similar in the look and feel, everything getting consistent. And then this is like, this is over a 10-year span here I'm talking about. And then when I kind of started to get bored at this point, you know, because now I had these four locations, everything was humming pretty well. The brand was perfectly positioned for where the future of health and fitness is going and where the baby boomers are going. I had positioned it right. And I just felt at that point I had packaged a business that is ready to be sold. And I just felt that it was time for me to leave because I was getting, the business was turning very mechanical, very operation-based, and it needed more of an executive kind of CEO that's more systematic than my brain is, and I'm more of a creative person. I like the startup phase. I love the, the unexpected, the trying to think outside the box and under pressure. I like that kind of stuff. <laughs> so at that point, just kind of the stars aligned for me. It's really things just started to unfold naturally because I had a client approach me 
one of our really wealthy clients saying, you know, have you ever considered selling this business? And then within a few weeks, I had this other person call me from New York and they're saying they had shopped a thousand businesses in the fitness. They're a buyer for, they, for investors. They buy fitness uh, places. And he said, I shopped a thousand businesses. I came upon yours. Something, you know, told me that I need to go deeper in this. It spoke to him. He came down and basically I had two buyers, you know, looking to buy it at the same time. And then within eight months I sold it. So, and, and throughout that time, like, I mean, I also built other stuff like events. I've done over 15, like pretty large scale events. What kind of events? Well, the first big event, we do two events a year and we still do in the bodybuilding world. So it's like bodybuilding, fitness, figure, that kind of stuff. So here in our city, we have two events that we do, the two biggest ones. But I've also done a fitness, it was called National Capital Fit Day, which is a day where we wanted to get everyone out and doing something fitness related. We had 8,000 people in two days. And you know, we had uh, Mario Lopez. <laughs> Mario Lopez was there. We got Charles Peliquin, a strength coach. I don't know if you know who he is, but um, one of the biggest strength coaches in the world there. And, but we had 10 different sports going on at once in one day. Hmm. And it was just craziness, <laughs> like insane. But I tend to like to jump into huge things. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's interesting. I, I love this story, especially going all the way back to you trying to find your way and being a personal trainer and then being challenged by your client to say, hey, you've got, what is your dream? And, and you need to go follow that. I think a lot of people would reflect and say, oh, I'd, I'd love to open a gym, but that doesn't seem like something would ever be possible. I don't have any money. How could I make that happen? So I admire that you went into it. You said you jumped into a $250,000 loan to get that working. How did you even get that from the get-go? I mean, I mm -hmm. haven't really done anything like that, but I would imagine that like a 20-year-old kid or however old you were going to banks and saying, I want to open a gym, most of them would be like, uh, nope, sorry, not happening. Yeah. It's actually pretty funny, it, like the business plan that I had written, you know, because it's completely like most business plans, you create them and it's totally not. Once you jump in, it's like it turns out to not be at all what you expected. Yeah. <laughs> but I remember like some people that were working at the banks that we showed them the business plan, my, my wife and I, and they would just like start laughing. <laughs> <laughs> so like, you can't be serious. You're not going to make this much money this quick. Yeah. <laughs> And they were right. But I had asked the client for money, right? When you have nothing, you have zero assets, like mm -hmm. zero. Yeah, no bank's going to lend you money. And I quickly realized that I had asked a client, a client was said that he was going to uh, invest in it. And a month before, you know, when we had to actually buy the equipment and buy stuff, I had asked him if he could put like $100,000 in my account or something. And then he was like, uh, there's this other building that I'm looking to buy. So, and basically just said he wouldn't. But, you know, I was already committed at that point. I already had, you know, done a lot of work. So it was like, okay, well, we got to hit the banks. And then we hit the banks. And then it was quickly like, oh, if you don't get a co-signer, someone to sign for this, there's no way you're going to get it. So and I was like, okay, well, how do I find a co-signer? And then it turned out that my girlfriend's mom was willing to co-sign. So she co-signed her house, which was, you know, forever grateful for that. Wow. And that came with a hell of a lot of pressure. Yeah. Probably not a great decision <laughs> by her, but I guess it's really worked out well for you. And it certainly came with a lot of pressure, I'm sure. Because I'm like, if I 
screw this up. I not only lose, you know, like I was like, I lose my mother-in-law's house. Probably my girlfriend. Probably, yeah, I was going to say. Probably. <laughs> and I'm in debt for the rest of my life. Yeah. So, yeah, talk about jumping two feet in. I definitely did that. Incredible. Did you end up using more debt when you opened the other studios, or were you able to fund those from, from cash flow that you had brought in from the first? I was able to fund them through cash flow. But the interest rate was really low, which I figured out by the third one that we should have been using kind of the bank money after the second one. But yeah, no, we reinvested profits. Oh, that's great. I mean, you, you made it less risky that way. Because yeah. you never know when something like a, like a crash like 2008, 2009 is going to come around and knock you out of business and you won't be able to pay. Yeah, exactly. Uh, how did you, you mentioned that when the, the big competitor came in, you changed your business and you decided to move away from the traditional model and move to more of a, a training model where anybody can show up and nobody has a commitment, which is a big risky proposition. But also, I love this idea of, hey, we're completely measured by our results. I go to the gym every day. I'm a longtime gym rat. And you know, once they sign you up, they don't really care what happens to you <laughs> at most gyms, right? Oh, and for me personally, you know, I'm, I'm fine on my own, but a lot of people probably I think have no idea what to do and they're not getting much guidance unless they continually sign up for training. But it is such a different model. How did you market and attract people to, to come in and sign up for that when you were doing things so much differently? Well, I had to become a referral machine <laughs> mm. because that was really the most effective strategy was how do we get better at referrals? How does my team get better at referrals? It was also uh, getting out there in terms of doing seminars. You know what? Like when you, you say that, you know, people that go to the gym, I think the industry stats are, it's roughly close to 50% of the members that buy a gym membership go to the gym for more than like a 20 days or something like that. It's something right. ridiculous where yeah. like they're just making money off people getting a membership. And that, you know, that did play a big part in it too. Cause I'm going like, it's really not fulfilling to have this business that you know is producing such a lack of results. Like that comes to and, and eats away at you. After right. on, the, on the one hand, it's, it's nice that people are just sending you money for virtually nothing. But yeah. on the other hand, you have this, you know, that you're not really changing anybody's lives. You're not really helping anybody. Yeah. So any, any business owner can kind of like see both sides. <laughs> They're like, yeah, no, you're getting all this money in and people aren't using your equipment and beating it up. But it was, for me, that's not what I signed up for. And for me, this came from, you know, because I was a personal trainer, I was dealing with helping people change. Yeah. And so it was really not in line with who I am, you know. I like that. This episode of the Entrepreneur Hot Seat is sponsored by Advantage Performance Group. Advantage is the first place to call when you need leaders to lead, sellers to sell, and your business to flourish. At Advantage, we offer creative learning solutions that can help accelerate leadership development, business acumen, sales performance, and business results. Our clients say we're imaginative, collaborative, insightful, and fun. For more info, visit AdvantagePerformance.com or call us at 415 925 6832. And now back to the show. I've had arguments with friends about the, the gym industry and what they actually want because a lot of people think, I think cynically, even the big gyms that they like and rely on the fact that a lot of people sign up and don't go and it's just pure profit for them. 
But I take the other side. I don't think they want that because people who don't show up eventually drop their membership, right? And those people go Oh, for sure. So you want your people to use the gym. Maybe not every day, but you yeah. probably want them in there at least a couple of days a week. Otherwise, they're going to quit. Yeah. And I, I think you're right. You know, like they do want, they try to create new programs to try to get people to come more often, but people are lazy, you know? So <laughs> exactly. Well, you, you obviously weren't because you went out and built a business with four studios and you sold that, uh, which I think is really cool. What are you doing now? Tell me about this incubator that you've started in Ottawa. Well, I, after I sold the business, I, decided to just travel around because I had been so focused, you know, as a business, as business owners and entrepreneurs, we're so future driven, you know, we're always thinking of what's next. And I felt like I needed to just stop that for a bit and to just like enjoy the present moment. And I just traveled around with my wife and my daughter and we went to a whole bunch of different places. And then I was throughout that time, throughout that nine months about, you know, I was always questioning, okay, like, what am I meant to do? Like, what am I here for? And it comes down to the same kind of thing that the fitness was, you know, for me is that I'm of service to others. And my personal training, the tagline for the fitness place that I had, the studios was called personal trainers who care, right? So it was all about heart and, and it's about servicing others. So when I looked at what I wanted to do and what kind of had got me into personal training in the first place and wanting to help people, that's what was key. Like I, even as a trainer, as a personal trainer, I, I got in, I fell into personal training because I saw a 400 pound man that was, you know, coming into the gym and he was really intimidated and he didn't want, you know, and he was going to leave. And I knew that was probably going to kill him if he left. You know, so I decided to help that guy for a full year, training him four times a week for free because I wanted him to, and, and he lost 200 pounds. And as he was losing that 200 pounds, people just started to say, what are you doing with him? You know, are you like, what's his nutrition like? What's his exercise training like? Right. And then it was, and then it became, you know, so many people asking the owner of the gym, they said, can we train with him? And he said, well, he's not really a trainer. He's just helping that guy. You know, so it wasn't long until the owner came to me and said, go get your certification course. You're becoming a trainer. <laughs> right. So it was always in the service of, of these people. Well, over the last nine months of, of thinking about what I wanted to do, it was it just came. The conclusion to me was I need to just bring the elevator back down. I got to now help entrepreneurs go through the same journey that I just went through. You know, the person that didn't have the knowledge, the connections on how to do this or the funds, and all of a sudden was able to come out of this uh, journey. So then I was thinking, so if I want to help entrepreneurs, what is the best way for me to help them? And I said I could coach them individually, but that's not really efficient for me. So I came up with the idea of creating this incubator that would allow me to stay in my creative zone of that, you know, so I don't fall into that like medium to large scale business where I'm bored, but I'm always helping people with startup, you know, with startup to, I don't know, $5 million, right? So to me, that's kind of the playground that I like to play in. 
and it's the type of people I like to work with and it's the type of work that I want to do. Um, so I created this company called Miyagi Incubator and uh, I'm just developing it now. We have two companies that have been that are, are starting to make money in it. Um, we have a plan of getting 10 companies going by the end of the year. And I've just kind of gathered my team so far of executives, like my VP of sales, marketing, operations, getting all of those high-level people on board, believing in this vision with me and wanting to move to start creating change and impact. Uh, it's really cool. So you've got entrepreneurs now coming in to the incubator and you're funding them and coaching them. And is the main uh, business model or the way you make money from investing in these businesses and then helping them become successful? Or is there other, another yeah. way for you to profit from it? No, you got it. Like every business we invest in. So if they don't, same kind of thing as the personal training centers. If they don't do well, we don't do well. That way it's in line. Uh, we're forced to do a good job or else we don't get paid. That's awesome, man. I like it. You're, you're all about pay for performance. Yeah, like in, pretty in, much. Yeah, in everything you do, put it, put up or shut up, uh, as they would say. I guess that comes with a, a need for fairness. You know, like I, I find a lot of partnerships you get into, and I've, I've had you know a handful of partnerships where you get into business together, and this is typically what somebody will do: is they'll be like, okay, you own fifty, you know, I'll own fifty-one percent, you own forty-nine or fifty-fifty or whatever the percentage is, but. Over time, what happens is one of those people has a false expectation of the other, typically, of their work habits, of what they thought they could deliver. And, you know, I've done it before where, you know, you partner with somebody and, and they turn out to, you know, say that they're going to sell so much, but they turn out not selling very much and I'm outselling them, you know. And then you're feeling like, oh, this isn't really a fair deal. And when you do that enough time, you start to go, okay, well, is there a better way to do this? Like where we can all profit on our own personal contributions to the company. And that's how I've kind of set up Miyagi. So everyone's an owner when they come in and the percentage of ownership is based on the contributions that you put into the company. So to me, that's a much more fair model than anything I've ever seen. Yeah, that's really cool. I like that. So as we start to wrap things up here, uh, you work with a lot of newer entrepreneurs, it sounds like. What is one of the biggest challenges you see and what advice do you give for newer entrepreneurs as they're starting businesses and, and trying to figure things out? The, well, the thing I'm seeing the most is that like, I have this thing where I see the best in everyone. <laughs> I really feel like anyone can become an entrepreneur if they have the will right? Everything else can be taught, but if you don't want it, then forget it. You know, like you can, so the will is there. If the will is there, it's good. The biggest challenge that I find with the people that come on board is that if they've went through schooling, if they've always worked for somebody else, then they're always looking for a map on how to get there. And they don't know how to work very well in uncertainty in that space outside the comfort zone because they've never really had to work there. So I'm just always kind of reminding them, you know, they've been told their whole life not to make a mistake, right? That making a mistake is bad. 
you know, the F is the worst letter in the alphabet when you're going through school. You know, it's terrifying to have the F since you're a kid. And I know now because I have a daughter and like I just got a report card the other day and I was like, what? She's six. She doesn't need to a report card. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so we go through school. Our society is, is really run around fear. And now you have all these people terrified of jumping into the unknown and making a mistake. So I just constantly remind my entrepreneurs to just constantly make mistakes. Just try and fumble, like nonstop fumbling your way. And because that's how you really learn. You learn through making mistakes. And that's not what they've been taught. And for that reason, they're frozen in fear. And in Canada, there's just, it's cold. <laughs> there's a lot of ice. So they're literally frozen and emotionally frozen. Um, I'm glad you mentioned that. I mean, that's one that I've heard a lot from successful entrepreneurs. I think it's common advice. And yet so many people hear it and be like, yeah, we got to make mistakes. But then we're still terrified to go out and actually try stuff and make mistakes. And I know I was for a long time, but now... I am just trying all kinds of stuff and not worrying as much about that and learning from mistakes. And I'm finding so much more success as a result of that. So many great things happening, connections being made, lessons being learned because I'm putting myself out there and trying different things like this podcast, you know, among yeah. others. So, so I love that. I agree with that hundred percent. We have to wrap things up for anybody who wants to follow you or find out more about you or maybe find out about the incubator. I know you write a regular blog and you've got the the incubator and I think you're pretty active on social media. So where do people go to find out more information? Uh, Just go to my website, jeanlucboisseneau.com if you can spell it. (laughs) Awesome. You want to spell that or uh, I could put a, I'll put a link in the show notes as well. Okay. That would help. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. So everything's on the website. You've got the link to the blog there. And I think you mentioned you're pretty active on Instagram as well, right? Yeah, Instagram's great. Okay, great. What's the handle on Instagram? Oh, I think it's Jean-Luc Wassenau. Okay, great. We'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. Uh, Jean-Luc, thank you so much for coming on the Entrepreneur Hot Seat. This has been a lot of fun. and uh, Thank you so much. You got it, man. Take care. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Hot Seat. You can find more information at entrepreneurhotseat.com or my personal website, andystorch.com. Please don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes. And if you have any questions or comments, or if you are looking for ways to take your life and business to the next level, you can send me an email to andy at andystorch.com. Take care.